with us next week is an honor. And by God's grace, we're going to sow another $2,500 into Pastor's work, uh, Pastor Lierna in, in, in Honduras. And I'm going to ask you to give on top of that. And I know that some of you won't be able to, and that's okay. But I'm just asking you now in preparation to give on top of that if you can, because I believe, this is what I believe, because I don't believe in coincidences. I believe if God has sent us two missionaries in the same season, that it's about ready to be spring and summer for us, and we have more planned for outreaches and evangelism than we ever have before, then I believe what is in our hand is some seed. Amen? Come on, man. I believe in some seed. And just to give you testimonies, a ministry's already sold $5,000 into us to do Chicago for Jesus outreaches. And that's before we sowed these seeds. So I know it sounds a little cheesy, you know, give and it will be given back to you. But that's actually the Bible, okay? And so I don't believe in coincidences when a ministry that we don't even know, we didn't contact, it's a friend of a friend, says to me a few months ago, hey, I heard you guys are doing great things in Chicago. Here's $5,000. Because we don't fundraise. We don't, you'll know notice that. We don't do that. As a matter of fact, I was talking to Wayman, the evangelist over there in Honduras, about our budget being close to half a million, and he was like, y'all do that? And I'm like, yeah, God does that. The reason is, is because we don't showboat it. We're not a church that's shaking you down for every offering, and our people come humble. You might be sitting next to a millionaire right now. You don't know, amen? How would a millionaire come to Metro Praise? You think they would come in a helicopter? You know the kind of church we are. If you were a millionaire, you would come, you'd just come like this, right? And let me just help you with this. YOLO, you only live once, right? So you better live right. <laughs> so I hope to get some conversations with this church. I just want to let you know I'm not just wiling out, you know, spring break. Yeah, you only live once, YOLO. No, you all better live right. <laughs> okay. But going back to this, I, I'm looking at my account, and I'm already praying, God, what can I give? Because can we put up the slide for Pastor Lierna, please? Because when I tell you this, you don't, and I mean this personally from my own life, you don't know many people like this pastor, this apostle. You just don't. Over 50 years in the ministry, planting churches over multiple continents and countries from the Philippines, comes to America, pastors and plants multiple churches here, then goes back, has schools, has feeding programs, has opportunities for the people to come up. You and I have not met people, many people like this in our lifetime. And then when you think of what he does for the Lord and how humble he is, and how gracious he is, and the generation that he comes from. He used to be um, on the stage preaching with Lester Summerall and uh, uh, T.L. Osborne and some of these older names that we don't know anymore because they've passed on, uh, you know, um, Morris Cirillo and just great mighty men of God. And he was always humble. He was always kind. And I'm just saying this to you right now. Please pray and invite somebody because his heart for the lost is going to be amazing in this service next week. Amen. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 15, verse 1. That's it for commercials. Y'all ready for the main show? Half kid there. <laughs> kind of felt like a commercial. I don't usually do that, but I'm just like, God, if you're bringing them, I'm ready to go. And it would just be funny because if, you, if you're new to our church, we really only have like two main missionaries overseas that we support, Pastor Lierna and then um, uh, uh, the, the Jean and Tisa Nicole, the Nicoles. So yeah, their last name is Nicole. I always want to call them by like the first name, but their last name is Nicole. So it's Jean and Tisa Nicole. And then we have now adopted Wayman because I, I feel like we have a lot of Latinos here. We need to do something in Latin America. How many believe that? 
It's like, you're giving to Africa, Pastor. Pastor, you're giving to the Philippines. What about the gente, you know? What about our people? They need Jesus, you know? So I had to, like, make sure some mission money went to the gente. How many are happy as going to the gente? Come on. Come on. This gringo pastor scoring some points with the ejuelas, you know? Oh, he's such a good pastor. He loves the people. You know, we cook for him. But listen, I really thought to myself, man, if God now brings Gene and Tisa here and then we get all wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, in one season, that would be like the greatest miracle of all time, which I just heard. I guess she was writing my wife. I guess uh, uh, she's in the, t- the country. Tisa's in the country. If somebody can look that up, one of our leaders, see if Tisa's in the country because she is. Bro, we should just make that happen. Seriously, we should just fly her out here and, and, and say, we won't say that that was, uh, well, we could, I was going to say we could still say it was a God thing because we didn't bring her originally to America, but like, I'll just like make that happen the next step. Like she's in Iowa, she's not here. Like, no, you're coming here because now I want to say all the people that I support overseas have come within the last few weeks. Wouldn't that be exciting? Half of you are excited, half of you are bored. Trust me, we're getting to this, okay? This is happening in the next few moments. Just the last moment here of commercial. Would you do me a favor? Write my wife to write her so we don't forget about this God idea we got in church today. Because how many think that would be cool? Get on a flight, sister. Come on over here. Let's go. They're amazing missionaries as well. Okay, John chapter 15, verse 1. And if I ever do commercials, it's for missionaries. I just have a special place in my heart for them. And, and this is not a commercial. This is a testimony about my life. I was almost a missionary to Mexico, and God closed the door and had me uh, work in New Orleans. But I was this close. I mean, I'm talking I had already applied. I was already accepted. I was already making plans. And, and the Lord just shut the door. And I'm thankful for that. But I have never lost the desire to do mission work. I've been overseas multiple times. I've I've been back to Mexico doing mission work there in Chilapa and Nayarit. It was, it was precious. God moved there. And uh, what I just want to say with you is that you'll know your heart for God is burning bright when you care about missions. For those of us here that all you can think about is just your job, your life, and you just got to church today and, and pastor, give me a pick me up and move on. You're not really living the God kind of life. When you start thinking about others, when you're thinking about how the world is right now and you're praying for them, they're always on your heart. Like the way I encourage people is don't even have a meal. Don't even eat without thanking God for what he's given you, obviously, to pray. But then to pray for missions. Pray for those around the world. You know, it's, 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 you know, kind of noble back in the day. Like, and Lord, pray for those, I pray for those who don't have any food to eat. And you know, that's touching. But be specific when you pray. Lord, I pray for Honduras. Or Lord, I pray, you know, if you, if you follow these different people on the social media apps, like I'm praying for Nigeria. Nigeria is suffering right now. They're being persecuted. I'm praying, Lord, at my meal, Northern India. How many have ever had a meal with me and you've heard me pray for the persecuted church or for the mission work? Maybe I need to have more meals with you. Not many hands went up, okay? Take you all out for dinner afterwards, okay? Now I'm going to pray. Everybody listen. Now here comes my humble prayer because I'm the humblest guy I know. Oh, Heavenly Father. No, but I'm serious. You need to pray for the missions. Do you know where I learned that from? I learned that from brothers in Colombia. Somebody say, Colombia. You got to say it like you're cool, Colombia. Okay, I don't know if I say it as cool as I should. Maybe I'm not as cool, but I feel I'm cool when I say Colombia. I was sitting down with these pastors, and they were taking me out to lunch in a wonderful uh, Colombian restaurant. Though it could have been Cuban because it was in Miami, and I wouldn't know the difference, just to be honest with you. I'm sorry. But I was at this wonderful restaurant. You know what they did, Sister Jackie? You know what this brother did? 
while he was uh, blessing the food, he prayed for the nations. And I said, Lord, that's how I want to be. I want to, you know, it was a beautiful day in Miami, Maine. You wouldn't have been thinking about something going on around the world. That wouldn't have been the first thought in your brain is let me think about guerrilla warfare. Let me think about somebody being tortured right now in North Korea. You know, I'm in Miami. I got the beachside hotel doing it right. I'm out with this pastor. And while we sit to pray, what does he pray for? He prays for missions. He prays for the work around the world. And you know what? That stuck in my heart. And I said, from that point forward, I said, from that day on, Lord, I'm going to do it every time. So Lord willing, you are with me. I pray for a meal. I'm praying for God and his work. I'm praying to God for his work around the world. Are you with me in John 15? Amen. Thank you. Jesus speaking here, going verse by verse through this book. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. How many can say amen to the word of God? Amen. Amen. You read it. There it is. Now do you believe it? John chapter 15 is one of the most controversial parts of the book of John, and you've just read why. Today's message is on abide. The reason why it's controversial is because Jesus said he'll cut you out if you don't do the right things. There are many good Christians that believe otherwise. There are Christians that believe you cannot lose your salvation. Notice I said they're Christians, not saying they're bad people, not saying that they're heretics. But I want to let you know as a pastor, I am obligated to teach you this aspect of Christianity. Now, I offer myself for private debate and discussion with anyone who differs with my interpretation. The reason why I say private is because God has handcuffed me to debating only non-believers in public. I am not released at this time to debate believers in public. How many can say amen for that? How many know we have enough issues in the body of Christ that we don't need to be debating over women in ministry? Now, on my live feeds, I'll take on any subject and I'll answer if someone wants to come on, but I won't be, you know, setting up a flyer, Joe versus this person, over women in the ministry or speaking in tongues or Calvinism versus Arminianism. This is something the Lord has told me. I just, I just can't do it. Maybe you can do it. Go ahead online. I'll go there and support you. I'll be like, ah, go get them. Go get them. Yeah, you got them. Go hit them again. Hit them again. I'll be like Mac in your corner there, you know. That was like my best invitation of Rocky, you know, like hit them again, hit them again, you know, and I'll be back there and I'll be doing my best for you, but I cannot jump in the ring and publicly start beating on another Christian. The Lord has just told me I can't. I can't. I, there was a season when I did that, and it grieved my heart. You know, we're dealing with all these issues, homosexuality. Now with COVID, they tried to shut down our churches, and many from these churches, Calvinists and, and those who don't believe in women in ministry, et cetera, were, were being threatened just like we were being threatened. And in other words, we would all been in the same jail cell, you know. And it's like, I don't want to go online and give the world something to see us fighting over. But in our church, obviously, this is what we believe and what we teach. And it seems to be so controversial because, you know, 
know, in the book of John, we're hearing about Jesus loving us. We hear more about love in the book of John than any other gospel. We hear about things that, you know, once you're in my hands, no one can take you out of my hands. We hear these kind of scriptures in John that he adopts us and he brings us into his family. And, and what father would kick out one of his kids and say, you're not my family. You're not my family anymore, you know. And so we, we sometimes think that John doesn't pack a punch, but he does. And right here is one of the biggest punches towards believing a person cannot lose their salvation. Why? Because there's no way around it. And I've heard some of my best, uh, closest friends that are believers in once you have your salvation, you can never lose it, try to get around this. And, and I feel like this is one of the places where it looks the worst when they try to do it. So let's just go through it and see what you, what you get here. I am the true vine. Who is speaking there? Jesus. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. You can see that in the context above. My father is the gardener. We know that's Father God. Jesus, the Son of God, with the Father God have a relationship. One is the vine, one is the gardener. He cuts off every branch. Where? In me that bears no fruit. My friends have tried to say that he is speaking to the world that does not bear fruit will be cut off. Has the terminology in the scripture, in Christ, have ever have been used of someone in the world? Absolutely not. Just give you an example. Just go to John 3.16. Just to go to John. We'll, we'll show you some places in John. Can I hear an amen? How many believe John explains himself? Just a few places. Watch this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes what? Believes in him. That's okay, sister, we're getting it. That believes what? In him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. So the, the deal breaker here is the belief. If you don't believe, you're out. If you believe you're in him, and that's your faith in him. Right? Is everybody tracking with me? So if you're not having faith in him, you're not in him. Does everybody get it? I don't think it's hard. Just keep going. For God so loved the, uh, excuse me, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. What? Through him. That word through is like similar to in him. So he wants to save the world in him, wants to save the world through him. There is a difference in the two words. Don't get me wrong. But I'm trying to express that they're similar. And as a matter of fact, you can't go through something unless you're in something. So through is even a greater understanding of in, but they are similar. If I go through this building at one time or another, I'm in the building, right? And if I'm coming through Jesus' blood into salvation, that means I have to come into Jesus. Does everybody get that? I'm not trying to take words and make them something they're not. I'm just asking you to read it. But just keep going. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stand condemns, condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, does everybody see that? Okay, now let's, go to, let's keep going back. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made. Do we believe that all things were made through God? Absolutely. So we're, we're, not, we're not trying to confuse the two. One is creation. One is being born again, new creation. So we're not denying that the world didn't come through Jesus. The world didn't come out of nothing. You guys understand what I'm saying? From nothing, nothing comes. So we agree with them that through Jesus, you came out and, and, and the world. 
But that's not how salvation works. Otherwise, everybody who came out through Jesus would be saved. But they're all not saved. That's why you have to believe. But let's keep going, okay? Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him, through John, all might believe. Now you see the difference. You have to believe to be in Christ. Now keep following. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So this light is not salvation in my mind. It is the conscience, the right and wrong. Because then we would have to be saying that everybody's saved. And, every, and, and nobody on either side of the debate believes that. So God's light shines in every one of our hearts to draw us to himself. How do I know? Just keep reading. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now notice this. To all who did receive him, to those who what? Believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. So just because we all have come through Jesus in creation, that does not mean we are all God's children. In one sense, we are his creation. In another sense, we are his children. Just everybody tracking with me here. By believing in him, he gave them the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now, going back to John 15, just showing you in the book of John, and then I'll end in the book of John. Just want to go back to 15 again so you can see the thought. I am the true vine. My, gardener, uh, my father is the gardener. He cuts, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Do you think every branch in me, that means you are connected to Jesus, do you think that's talking about the creation of the world and this would encompass sinners? Absolutely not. Because what he said to come in him is you had to believe in him. Not in the sense of creation, that we are all God's uh, branches in creation. That's not what he's talking about. He's being very clear. He's talking about the branches of salvation. He's talking about the family tree of rebirth. Do you all see that? I don't want to make this up and have people say that I stretch the context. Now, notice what he says. Every branch, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, look at verse 3. Just to see whether or not I have interpreted the in him understanding correctly. Does it mean in him as creation? So God is basically, uh, rather Jesus as God in the flesh, is saying, everybody, we're all uh, here as the creation of God because he's there in the flesh. So all of us here can be connected to the Father. And some of you are going to really stay with me and believe in me. And others of you are going to get cut off. Is that what he's saying? Like speaking in general to everybody? No, I, I can't even say it without stumbling over the right understanding. He literally is speaking to believers in him. That is the context. Not in the general sense that people came from him in creation. No, no, no. He's talking about those that are in him because of belief in him. If you don't believe me, now look at verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Woo! You can't say that to the world. You saying that to an unbeliever? Hey, stick with Jesus because you're already clean. If you don't, you'll get cut off. Because the biggest argument for those who don't believe in once saved, always saved, is that 
If you are confessing Christ, but at some time backslide, they say you were never really a Christian to begin with. So that's their answer. But is that the context? Is he warning you about false converts? No, there are places where there are warnings against false converts, and I believe in that. But is that the you he is speaking to, the you that could be a false convert? No, verse 4 says, you are already clean. Now we know two things. He's not speaking to creation in general. He is speaking now to those who are clean, and you can only be a Christian. You can only be clean if you are a Christ follower. Follow the story of their lives. The cleanliness came through them believing in Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says, <clears throat> excuse me, to them. Verse 4, remain, or the King James, abide. I like the word abide, so we'll be using that. Abide in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If there was no fear or possibility of me being cut off from Jesus, why would he tell me abide as many times he did just right there? Just count it out from verse 4. Abide, abide. No branch can bear fruit. It must abide. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. You know, the word to remain there, but I'm using the one for abide in King James. Now go to verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you, who is the you there? The you is the ones who are already clean. The ones that are in Christ. And I'm going to show you a lot more scriptures. I just want to show it to you clearly in the book of John before I get to this concept in other places. You are the branches. If you, talking to those guys, not to the world, not to those like getting cut off from the world going to hell. No, these are being, uh, the warning is to be cut off from being a Christian and going to hell. Sinners are already going to hell. Sinners are not branches in Christ. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but he's speaking to those that are branches, or, or he's speaking to people who are branches in the vine. Amen? He's speaking to branches. He's not speaking to the twigs on the ground. Here it comes up. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you, verse 6, somebody highlight if you, please. Back there. Thank you, gentlemen. If you, somebody say the clean ones. Somebody say the disciples. Come on, somebody say the believing ones. I mean, I don't know why any other you in the context. He's not speaking in general to sinners. He's not speaking just to the world that he created and just saying, hey, if y'all don't stay in me, you're going to hell. How would that even make sense? The Bible said in the book of John that they're not even in him to begin with. Listen to me, crack addict. Unless you stay in Jesus, you're going to hell. He's not even in Jesus. You understand? That's like, let me put it in the natural so everybody can understand. Imagine there's a hurricane going on and you're outside and I go, unless you stay in the building, you're not going to be safe. How can I use the word stay? The word stay doesn't even make sense. You're not even in the building. Who do I say stay in the building so you'll be safe in the hurricane? The ones in the building. The ones in, hey man, y'all better stay in this building. Do you get a picture right there of what salvation's like? That's what Jesus is saying. Y'all are here. You're, you're the branches in the vine. Y'all stay here. That's what he's saying. Stay here because out there something bad happens. Notice, if you do not remain in me, you, the very ones he spoke about that are the believers, the clean ones, you now are what? Like a branch that is thrown away and what? Withers. Oh, isn't that, is, isn't that an idea that you must have had life? If something withers, wasn't it once alive? Does a non-believer have life according to the scripture? 
No, so who is in danger of withering spiritually today? The Christian. The unbeliever's already. I haven't left John, have I? I'm in John, aren't I? In John, is a branch dead while it's engrafted in? No, it's alive. What has to happen for it to die? To be cut off. Now, notice what it says. You are like a branch that is thrown away and what? Come on, I got five people helping me. I need the whole place helping me. Thrown away and what? Withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you... Talking to those same people, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Does a sinner have the words of God in them? So you couldn't even say have the words of God remain in you. I'm going to go to other passages, but I just want you to see it in John. If my words remain in you, now what? You can ask whatever you wish. Is he talking to a sinner? Of course not. And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. Now watch this. Concludes with where we began. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be who? My disciples. So who was he talking to this whole time? That's it. I don't see any other way around it, and to be honest with you, this is why I love my brothers and sisters who believe that once you're in Christ, you can never leave, that no matter how much you sin, God will forgive you. I want to be patient with them. I want to understand their heart, and I love them. And listen to me. I work with them. We do ministry with them. They're not our enemies of the gospel. They're on the same team as us, okay? And sometimes people don't think I give enough compliments. I'll give a bunch of compliments here. John Piper, Vody Bacham, John MacArthur, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Paul Washer. Who else are you going to say? You are going to say Paul Washer? Oh, cool. We're thinking the same thing. Yeah, Calvin. I'll name a bunch. James White, um, uh, John, uh, Jeff Durbin. Okay, is everybody with me? How many know I love people? Don't anybody say, like, yo, he doesn't speak nice about people. You know, sometimes I hear that, you know, because I only talk about maybe pastors in sin or churches acting bad. No, there's a bunch of names. Listen to all those people. Uh, be careful because not everything that they teach is what we teach. So, you know, weigh it out through the word of God. But I have, I'm not threatened by you listening to John MacArthur. I'm not threatened by you listening to Paul Washer. There's, I'm not insecure as a pastor. I listen to them, and I chew the meat and spit out the bones. We don't agree on everything, Okay. And, and they'll tell you themselves, this is what they believe, and they'll you, give you their point of view. And if that's what, something you want, then that's what you can have. You know? But this church is going to teach what we teach here, amen? And many of you, listen to me, came from other churches, and you weren't taught this. So I'm not holding it against you. You're welcome to stay as long as you want, amen? You're willing to gr I'm willing to grow with you, but th this is the thing. T to think I would change is, is inappropriate. I'm not going to change. So unless the Lord, I, I, I'm open to change. Trust me, if I'm wrong, I'm open to change. But the chances of me changing are very slim. It, it's a better chance for you to find the church that you're going to uh, find this doctrine in. But I want everyone to see here in, in the book of John that I have to twist the words, the scripture to say what I'm saying. No. I can tell you once again what they're going to say here. And what they're going to say, scroll up to the top, please, is that when he's talking about the branches being in him the vine, that's the creation of God, sinner and saint. And I just don't see it. I'm not convinced of that. I can only preach what I'm convinced of. I can only believe what I'm convinced of. I, I don't hold to this doctrine because I'm somehow trying to be, you know, cool. I don't think like I get special points, you know. I'm teaching this doctrine because I believe it is taught in Scripture. And I have debated it when I went to cemetery, I mean seminary, with my Baptist brothers 
who are amazing folks. So just let me give you an understanding of the difference here. There are Baptists who believe in this and Calvinists who believe in this, and they are not the same. Sometimes you'll meet a Reformed Baptist. That means like a Calvinist Baptist, but they are not the same. Baptists are like us on every major point except for this. Calvinists disagree with us on every major point, okay? So for example, the Calvinists would say only Christ died for the elect. The Baptists would say, like us, Christ died for everyone. The Calvinists would say it was God's choice in heaven to turn on the light switch of people's souls so that they may believe. When, when a Calvinist reads John chapter 3, verse 3, they believe that happens before you believe. You're born again before you believe. Regeneration to a Calvinist precedes believing. You believe because you're regenerated. But now go to the end of John, John chapter 22, and we'll just put that to rest as well. But the Baptist is exactly like us. And then lastly, uh, the Calvinist does not believe in free will. Free will is an illusion or rather just following your greatest desires and desires are set by your creator. Whereas Baptists like us believe you have a free will. And as you can see, even at the sign down here of this church, it says free will Baptist. Has anybody ever noticed the sign of the church right here? That's okay. You just come to Metro Praise. We love you. Forget about all these other churches. Don't think about it. Don't even read their sign. No, I'm kidding. Pray for them. But if you look at their sign, it says free will Baptist. Okay? It says free will Baptist because some Baptists have had fights and arguments. Like I said, there's Reformed Baptist and then there's free will Baptist. Now, if you go here to the last chapter of the book of John, you can see that the idea of being born again first does not come before believing. Believing comes so that you can believe. John chapter 21. Look at John chapter 21. And we will go to the last words of the apostle where he says where he has wrote these. Oh, sorry. It's John chapter 20. He gives a summary of his book, which we'll get to. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these things, thank you, my brother, but these are written that you may what? You may what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by what? Believing you may have life in his name. What comes first, believing or life? Believing. Somebody said life. Now you're thinking like a Calvinist. We still love you. It's okay. Calvinists are Christians. But what comes first, believing or life? Believe. These things were written that you might believe. And it sounds like you have a choice in it, right? That would be another strike against Calvinism, but here is something very clear to see, that you might believe. And when you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have what? Life. So life comes after believing. So now you know the two differences between Calvinists and Baptists, or not just two, but major differences between them. And so we with Baptists come against Calvinism. Soteriology 101 on YouTube, Leighton Flowers is a great Baptist, and we join with him on these points against Calvinism, okay? But where we and the Baptists and just other non-denominational churches disagree is over once saved, always saved. Now let's go to places outside of John, and let's see what, says, what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to see everything that I was describing to you in John in Ephesians as principles to see if what I was telling you about in him and whether or not you can have his word or who's alive and who withers and all of that. I want you to see if those connections were made not only in John but also confirmed throughout the Bible. So look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. As for you, you were what? Dead in your transgressions and sins. So when in John, and if you could also swipe over there just so we can go back and forth, 
And I showed you in John where it says, and just scroll um, down a little bit so we can see the withering part. Thank you, verse 6. Where I showed you that if you do not remain in Jesus, you wither. Could that be speaking to a sinner? No, because go now to Ephesians and see sinners are already dead. They're already withered. They're already separate from God. Let's use that language as well as we get further in here. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air. The spirit who is at work, where? In those who are disobedient. Can you have the spirit of Satan in work, working in you and the Holy Spirit at the same time. Not according to the Bible. And by the way, Baptists and Calvinists definitely agree with us on that. They're just as fed up as seeing these fake deliverance ministers push it as far as they are. I don't think every deliverance ministry is doing something fake. I'm just saying when they fake it to the make it part of these Christians' lives. If you're seeing deliverance, brother or sister, out of somebody that's genuine, it's not a true Christian. That's the first sign. This person's not a Christian. They have a demon. How many would think the first thing of you coming into Christ would be you no longer have demons? Like that would be like step number one. I know I'm saved now because I don't have demons anymore. How many know that would be like basic, right? And how many know if you have a demon, that's like the number one sign you're not with Christ anymore? Okay, so we could talk about that a whole nother time. So trust me, our brothers and sisters are, are very much in agreement with that. They have a very, what we would call, high view of what transpires at salvation. That now you are uh, in Christ. That greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world also in Ephesians, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we're all in agreement there. Where we're in disagreement is what can happen to that person. But remember, John says that someone who is in Jesus can come out of Jesus. And someone that was alive in Jesus can now wither. So if the person now wants to say to us, that's not speaking towards a Christian. Being in Jesus, that just means creation. And coming out of Jesus and withering, that just means a sinner goes to hell. They can't do that with Ephesians 2 because Ephesians 2 says you're dead. And Ephesians 2 says you're not in God when you're dead in your sins. You're actually in the spirit of the world. And keep going. Verse 3, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the des- uh, cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in sins, it is by grace you have been saved. Does everybody see that? And watch. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Where? In Christ Jesus. Were we in Christ Jesus when we were dead in our sins? No, we were separate outside of. There's in and then there's what? Out. We were outside of Christ Jesus. The revelation of salvation is that now you are in him. That's why I have that Trinitarian triangle. It's not the Illuminati, okay? It's Father, Son, and Spirit. You are now in the triune God. Before Christ and salvation, where were you in regards to the triune God? Out. You were still in his creation, but you were outside of a relationship with him. Amen? No confusion there. Going now to Ephesians chapter 1. Just go there quickly. Remember, he said, you are clean, speaking to him. In verse 1, thank you. Notice how Paul addresses Christians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's what kind of people? 
holy people or sanctified people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. So he's talking to the faithful. He's talking to the holy. Now look at verse 3, please. And we don't have time to read out all of these things, but notice all of these things that come to the Christian. And just, brothers, as you see it, highlight all the different times you see in him. I believe it's almost a dozen times just in this passage, just kind of on your own, just start highlighting some of the in Christ or in him. Maybe I'll just help you. I'll point to him. There's, there's in Christ. There you go. Oh, this is, you know, this is like, where's Wildle at? In him, there's another one. Okay, uh, here we go. Let's keep going. In, here we go. In the one he loves. Verse 7 here, in him. You guys seen it? Now go back, please, to John. John chapter 15, right at the top. Christians, verse 1, please, of 15. Christians are where? In the vine of God. They're in Christ. Where, in or out? Where are they at? In. Let's just read it again now. Let's see if this goes along with Ephesians. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch. Where? In me. That bears no fruit. You cannot convince me he's talking to someone other than a Christian. I don't see any other possibility to interpret this passage. I, I, I'm not saying that I don't love those who believe different than me, but I'm saying you would have to ask me to change the way I see the entire Bible at this point to see your point of view. So here's what we call that in theology. We call that special pleading. When now you're getting rocked by something that is so different from what you believe, the only rescue device you now have is to bring in logic or bring in things that are contradictory to your other points, and you can't see it, but everybody else can. Have I been guilty of special pleading? Absolutely, and I think there's other doctrines that I do that in too, and I don't hold to them so tightly, to be honest with you, like the rapture, the end times. I understand that there are some passages that I have to change how strict I am in my interpretive methods. But when it comes to the fundamentals or it comes to these issues, I hold it very precisely. And I don't see how you can hold it so precisely in this place. You would have to change what in him means. You would have to change what it means you are clean. You would have to change what it means he's warning them of. What is the, what is the point of he even warning these guys if there's no warning there? And then you would have to change the withering that somehow you're alive even as a sinner and you can wither. Like all of those biblical ideas of in and uh, uh, warning, all of that, they all go back to the time of Israel. Now go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now you try this one save, always say stuff in Israel and see how long it gets, see where it gets you. You could imagine Achan saying to the people as a rock's getting thrown at him, but at one save, always say, you're going to meet him right now. We'll see if you're right. <laughs> Uh, or uh, Uzzah touching the ark, he dies. Oh, one save, always save. You can't do that in Old Testament. And so my thought is the same God that would cut you off, and the Bible uses the language of cut you off, is from the Old Testament. If anyone is confused what that means, you have not studied cut you off from the Bible enough. 
Just look at what it says here in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you above all the nations. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if, somebody say if, you obey the Lord your God. Amen. Now go down and let's find out what happens if you don't obey these commands. Let's keep going down. So there's about what? I think there's going to be about maybe 15 verses of blessings. Somebody say blessed. There we go. So 14 to be exact. Now start at verse 15 here. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and what? Overtake you. Now, brothers and sisters, should anyone say that salvation is something to be played with? It's it's not. That's why the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul reiterates this. Now somebody from that side of the camp may say, well, it sounds like you believe in salvation by works, that the more you obey, the more saved you are. No, that's not what we're saying. He said, if you abide in me, then you're good. Amen? Abiding in Christ is not a work according to the scriptures. Go to Romans chapter 4. Believing in Christ is not a work. And this is where I always get tangled up with the Calvinists. They always want to say in this way. They want to say, Joe, you're going to heaven. Your neighbor goes to hell. What makes you better than your neighbor? They use this language. And so if you fall for it, you'll say, well, I believed in Jesus. I repented of my sins. And then they'll say, well, how can you now say you're saved by grace through faith? They will put that on you to make you feel like you're saying I'm better than so-and-so because I believed in Christ. And what they're doing is tricking you. They're not being honest with biblical language. Believing and repenting in Christ is not a work that you take credit for and become better than somebody else with. Do you understand the trick of the question? It's like, when did, it's, it's like this. Did you stop beating your wife? You know, asking a married man. Mike, did you stop beating your wife? Well, how do you answer that? Yes, I stopped beating her. Well, what does that mean? You used to beat her. No, I haven't stopped beating her. No, you still beating her then? And he's an amazing husband. But you get my point? It's like, how do you answer a question like that? Yes or no? Have you stopped beating your wife? Uh, I can't answer that. I can't answer that with a yes or no. Can you answer that with a yes or no? You can't. You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. And so here's the idea. Are you better than your neighbor because you believed and they're going out? Yes or no? And it's like, no, you're asking the wrong question. I am better off than my neighbor because I believe, but it's not a better of something that I did of my own self. It's a gift of God. I chose to believe. That's a gift of choice. God gave me that choice, and I'm just using it. Now, if they say, show me that in the Bible, look at it. Verse 4. Now, well, let's start in verse 3. What does Scripture say? Abraham what? Believed God. Come on, help me out, guys. Highlight it, and you guys pay attention as well. Let's get verse 3. Abraham what? believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. Well, that makes Abraham better than, than Lot or anybody else who didn't believe. No, no, no. This is just how it works. God says you make a choice to whether or not you believe. If you believe, boom, credit. You get credit to your account. I don't know about you, man, but these bank rates going up on loans are not good for houses, but they're good for your savings. Has anybody noticed how well your savings is doing right now in the savings account? I got a couple brothers. I've been looking at it going, woo, 
come on, hike it up to 20% then. I heard it used to be that way back in the day. People, my, my Greek in-laws uh, told me back in the day, you could put your money in the bank and make 20% a year. That's a lot. That's more than what stocks do most of the time. You know what I'm saying? Come on, man. So I see it going up, you know, you know, right now. I'm like, okay, but then I think about, man, I just bought a house too. This is not good. But thankfully, I got locked in at some kind of a rate, you know. So we like to see credit. I like to come to my savings account and go, oh, yeah, come on, keep it coming. Because before, when the rates were low, I was getting like two cents off of thousands of dollars. You know what I'm talking about. That's all you're giving me. This, I can't even buy a cup of coffee with this. But then I noticed time went on. This bank rates up, and I'm like, oh, honey, we're going out to eat. We got something a little extra. <laughs> I'm half kidding now. You know what I'm talking about. But notice Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him. That's how the Bible says. So, so I can just say back, to, no, I don't think I'm better than anybody else, but I get credit, and they don't. Well, what did you do? I believe. Well, that's a work, and the Bible says in Ephesians, we're not saved by works. Not according to the Bible, because the next verse says, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts or believes who God is, that he justifies the ungodly. Listen, their faith is credited as righteousness. What is credited as righteousness? Their faith. The Bible says that's how it works. If the Bible does not call faith a work, you can't call it a work either. So that's why I get upset with them in a loving, kind, Christian way. And I say, you're twisting the words. You're asking me to say something that I can't, I can't agree with either one. Faith is not a work. It's not. According to the Bible, I mean, it, how much more clear could it be? But as a, the work is an obligation, that means you're owed a wage. However, to the one who does not work, so here's work, but trust God. That means these are the opposite. Work and trust are two different things according to Paul, right? You work, you get a, you, you get a paycheck, and that's why the wages of sin is death, because you work on your way to hell. But if you trust God, you get the free gift of salvation. You see it? It does not work, but trust. I'm not working at this. I'm trusting at this. Now, does my trust in God put a good work in me that works? Absolutely. But it's God's work in me that works. Just go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, not from works. That doesn't mean I don't believe. By grace you have been saved through faith. Notice it says through faith. It's the faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. By grace, through faith, you have been saved. Now, watch what it says here. Thank you. And this is not from yourselves. I don't take credit. Did you take credit for it? I, do you think Abraham took credit for it? No, so they're asking me in the words of credit something that goes against the Bible. Well, did you do something your neighbor didn't do? Yes, but do you take credit for it? No. Oh, it sounds like you're contradicting. No, I'm not contradicting myself. I'm telling you that faith doesn't, get, doesn't deserve credit. Faith is not a work. For it's by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we, now notice this, are God's handiwork. See, God then works in me, created in Christ Jesus. God does something in me in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Please go back to John and see if that makes sense. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So every person in Christ that doesn't want to stay in Christ and bear the fruit of the Spirit, they're cut off. While every branch that does bear fruit, he continues to prune so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. That he's talking to us. Remain, abide in me, and I will remain in you. 
I'm so thankful for that promise today. So here, here's where I want your heart to be at peace as you listen to the doctrine of what we would call eternal preservation, okay? God preserves those who stay in him. Do I have to fear being cut off as I trust in Christ? No. But if I don't trust in Christ and I work the works of sin, should I fear God and, and his judgment and, and being cut off into things that can happen? Absolutely. You ready to see that in all these verses that we have up here? Amen. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 23. Let's go. Let's just go through some of these scriptures and put it in our heart to understand what's going on here so that we don't think that, that we're just taking a one-off. No, not only does this confirm with the whole book of John, it confirms with the whole Bible. As I talked about, blot out his name and cut off is all throughout the Old Testament. But notice this here in Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel is going to repeat himself twice, starting in verse 23. He says it like this, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 23, I must have... Uh, yeah, do I have the wrong verse? I have it written down wrong because that is not it. Let's keep scrolling. It might be 33. Keep on going down. No, no, no. Go back up. I'm so sorry, brothers and sisters. Keep going up for me. It's not that. There we go. Here we go. It was verse 20. Can someone give me a pen so I can change this for me? Thank you. Again, when a righteous person turns from their what? Righteousness, thank you, and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will what? They will die. Since you did not warn them, talking about Ezekiel, what I'm supposed to do, like be a warner, and so are you, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that that person did will not be what? Remember, and then I'll hold you accountable for their blood. So if you don't tell them, you'll be accountable. But what's the most important thing here? Whose pen is this? Thank you, sister. I appreciate that. Oops. Notice what he says here. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered. Can a wicked person do righteous things according to the Scripture? Not according to the Scripture. In the book of Isaiah, all of our supposed righteous things, all the noble things we do for our children, the good things we do in society, are as filthy rags to the Lord. This is talking to a person that's actually doing righteous things and would expect to have a reward on Judgment Day. But the Bible says if they turn from God, those righteous things they have done will not be remembered. Now he repeats himself. Go to Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 12, further on in his book. And you know if the Bible repeats itself, especially in the same book, that's an important concept. How many believe that? Amen. If the Bible's teaching us something over and over again through repetition, we should take it serious. Therefore, son of man, say to your people, if someone who is what? Righteous, thank you, disobeys, that person's former righteousness will count for nothing. Now, how do I know this is talking about sinner, saint, Christian, non-Christian, etc.? Because now he flips it. And if someone is what? Wicked repents, that person's former wickedness will not bring condemnation. Notice it here. The righteous person who sins will not be allowed to live even though they were formerly righteous. I don't know how else to say it. You have to ask me to make metaphorical things that are the most clearest in the Bible. Well, metaphorical for righteous just means they were a good person. That's not what righteous means in the entire Bible. The Bible speaks of righteousness coming from God in regeneration and following the commands of the Lord, not simply just doing certain things in society or good things. These are people living the Christian life. 
or, or we should say the godly life in the Old Testament before Christ came. They are obedient to the things of God, and they ought to fear, be concerned if they walk away from those things. Now let's go to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 16. Sometimes people say, well, once the Holy Spirit is there, how could he ever leave? That doesn't make any sense. Like they, they try to rationalize it in a way to them that sounds silly. Let me show you actually in the Bible what it looks like. Can I hear an amen? Like, well, what does it mean the Spirit leaves me and then this? Well, I'll show you what it looks like. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. That's what it looks like when you go from a sinner to a saint. You don't have to imagine it, get confused by it. That's what it looks like. The Holy Spirit that used to be upon you and in you and working through you is now gone. And now there's another spirit working in you and through you. And this doesn't mean demon possession, exorcism. It just means, uh, here it does, but in the sense of Ephesians, and just put Ephesians 2 there, when the spirit of disobedience is working in you, it doesn't always torment you in that kind of demonized way. Is everybody tracking with me? There's going to be a level of demonization that, that Saul's going to get that most sinners won't have. And here's, here's a good thought to that. Because he knew so much and he walked away, now he's going to suffer so much. I'll just put up there, like I said, Brother Ephesians chapter 2, please, so everybody can see it. So notice what happened here. He had the Spirit of God, and then he got the other Spirit. Notice what it says when you're a sinner. You're dead in your transgressions and sins. You follow the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of air. The Spirit, highlight this, please, the Spirit who is now at work and those who are what? Disobedient. You see? Now, what happened with Saul when that spirit came? It began to torment him because God allowed that spirit to take over. I believe all demon possession is a result of disobedience, and God allows the devil to mess with you to the extent of your disobedience. That's a whole nother discussion. Okay, I don't think demon possession is an accident. I don't think it happens in children. I think when the Bible talks about the young boy, we're talking about teenagers. Otherwise, we have issues to why young boys get judged by Elijah and they get killed by a wild bear for calling them old baldy. I believe that this is the age of accountability type stuff when it talks about the young children or kids. Okay? I don't think it means like our children can be demon possessed because then why isn't every child demon possessed right now? There's a world full of sinners. There's a world full of demons. Why are every child demon-possessed? Some people might work in the public school and be like, you don't know. <laughs> That's actually happening right now. <laughs> Pastor, you need to come work on my job. They're all demon-possessed, every single one of them. No, they're not. Be honest. They're not. They're not all. I mean, I have beautiful Hindu neighbors, Muslim neighbors. Their children are beautiful. They're not demon-possessed. How many know that? We don't want to be weird and spooky Christians, okay? If the devil could just possess children because they don't know right from wrong in that sense, then why doesn't he just possess every child? Why isn't every child an exorcist issue right now? It's because he can't. Demon possession is a result of disobedience. You all see it right there? It's a result of that disobedience. And I even believe that as we get older, even if we're not in the same sense of Saul being tormented, it gets worse and worse and worse, okay? And some of you can relate to that. That's why we have a lot of young adults in the church because they went so far as teenagers and, and coming into adulthood, and they say, I'm done. Others of you who come as adults, let's be honest, you come here with some scars. Your demons have messed you up in life. Let's just be honest. You've had some real issues. You've had some real divorces. You've had some real uh, pornography addictions. You've had some real anger issues. You've had some greed in your life. You've, you, you, come on. I mean, I can speak to this congregation with the, with the pure heart and say that and not try to put you down. When I see adults come to Christ and I see you come and accept Jesus, there's always a lot of pulls and tugs on your heart because I feel like the devil's got so many more hooks in you. It's much, and Jesus said this, the kingdom of God belongs to the children. It's much easier to start off living for God when you're young because you're not addicted to sin yet. 
You're not, you're not influenced by the spirit of this world in that way. And some people are like, oh, you're so silly. You believe in demons. You listen to songs about demons every day. Everybody here listens to, you know, Imagine Dragons and this one and that one. You think I'm stupid? It's the same thing like, man, you shout in church. You shout for a guy in tights, man. I'm shouting for a person who made the universe. You like that dude on the baseball diamond in tights because he threw a ball fast. I'm shooting, I'm shooting a little bit higher than that. You know, I'm shooting for the guy that made the whole universe. Why are you upset with me shouting about him? Taking off your shirt, painting it blue and red, acting like they care about you. That's your team. That ain't your team. Show up there one time without a ticket and see if they let you in. You know me. I got to make it real. Everybody gets mad at me for preaching about spiritual things like it's just not more important. It is more important. And that's why you got to pray for them in those industries because they're getting demonized too. They're getting tempted. They're getting, they're getting just as much temptation as you are, if not more. And so this is why, you know, we got to go back to the scriptures. Now, let's get a few more up here. You all ready? Yeah. Psalm 55, verse 11. If it wasn't real that you could lose the Holy Spirit of God or get cut off, then why would David say this in Psalm 55, verse 11? Excuse me, this is another one. Can I get a pen? Psalm 50, verse 11. Lord, help me today. I've made too many mistakes. Go to Psalm. I'm just going to keep this up here. Is that okay? I have no idea. I know I never uh, do this. This was Psalm 51. Take three. Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 11. I believe this is it. Help me, Jesus, if it's not. Yes, it is. Here we go. Do not cast me from your presence. Where must you be to be cast from the presence of somebody? In their presence, would you be shouting down the block, hey, Joe, don't push me down? Would you shout that down the block? Hey, Joe, don't push me down. No, you would say that if we were right next to each other and we were getting intense. Hey, man, don't push me. Don't push me. Wouldn't you say that? But if you weigh down the block, hey, yo, man, don't you push me. This is the silliness. I'm just being honest. I love my brothers and sisters who disagree with us on this. I don't know how else to read this. If you hear a prophet, David, say to God, do not cast me from your presence. Where must he be at that moment? In his presence. And what must he be afraid of at that moment? Getting cast out of his presence. If that's not real, I don't, why did you even say it then, David? Oh, it's just poetry. He really didn't mean it. Sounds like he means it. <laughs> Read the life story of David. It sounds like he's a desperate man after he's done some wild things. And look at the next part. Or... Take your Holy Spirit from me. Who's the, who's the uh, second king after King Saul? David. Who got the spirit taken from them and got an evil spirit? Saul. Don't you think David knows about that? <laughs> David's like, hey, God, hey. Hey, don't cast me out. I saw that guy go crazy. I saw demons come in him, talking to himself, smelling like urine, talking about aliens on the train. No, no. Hey, don't take your presence from me. Do not take your spirit from me. How many know that's real? That's real. Now what does he say? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So what does this mean? This means that God can put up with a whole lot before he kicks us out. There's, there's grace in here, isn't there? If you know the story of David, he's committed murder and adultery. And God is being patient with him. That's why we do jail ministry. We want to be patient with him. They, they need to be in jail, and this man needed to suffer punishment, and he does. But we can also reach out to them and say, you better call on Jesus. Amen? And tell the truth when you're in court, too. None of this call on Jesus and then you lie in court. 
I, I, I'm being honest, man. If you've ever been convicted of something and you become a Christian, the first thing you should do before the judge is go, I'm guilty. This is what I did, and I want to make, uh, make it right, and I want to give back to society whatever you think is right, and I'm going to do this for God now from this point forward. And watch how the judge and people will respond to you after that. Amen? We still may flip the switch on you, but at least you'll have gone out with integrity. Amen? Okay? Now, I know nobody's going to jail here, but you get my point. If, if your friend's in jail, Cousin Flacco, tell Cousin Flacco this. God has not given up on you yet. Are you listening? God has not given up on you yet. But you need to be serious with him because you could get cut off. These are scriptures. I'm not making them up. They're scriptures that obviously were written there before I started this sermon series. But they're there to confirm it. Go to Romans chapter 11, verse 17. Remember the vine and the branch illustration of John 15, what we were just reading? In Romans 11, Paul goes with the same exact mindset, but he changes it to an olive tree. It's the same exact thing. Instead of it being a grape tree, it's an olive tree. Notice the, the branches and all of these things. It's all going to happen again right in front of you. Paul the apostle. Notice what he says. If some of the branches have been what? Broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nurturing sap of the root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those branches. Why is this being discussed? This is a Jew and Gentile illustration now. Jews were the natural branches of God that he raised up through the centuries. The Gentiles were on the outside. God is now bringing in those wild olive shoots. He's bringing in the nations into salvation. What he did in times past, we could discuss at a different time, but this is Paul's big picture here. And so now what he's saying to them is, you are a wild, crazy Gentile. You're a Greek. You're a Roman. You're coming into this Jewish faith. You may have the tendency or the, the thought to think of yourself more higher than then you should. You may want to now put down the Jews. And by the way, that's what happened in Roman Catholicism as they got in control over Rome. The, one of the first people they went after was the Jews. Hey, we're going to do some payback now. You messed with us. We're going to mess with you. You crucified our Jesus. We're going to take care of you. I'm serious. You can look at the inquisitions of the Catholic Church against the Jewish people. It's very sad what they did to them because how they thought they needed to be punished. But God said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He said, turn the other cheek. It wasn't the job of a church with state to now punish people of a different religion. Can I hear an amen? And make sure we guard our hearts from that nonsense today. Anti-Semitism is always a devil's lie. Jesus was a Jew. You don't pick these Jewish people 100 years later and start beating on them and say they're the problem. First of all, all of us were the problem. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? And stop listening to Alex Jones and listen to Peter, Paul, and James. Amen? People, too many people are conspiracists, you know? And so we, we start hating the enemy on the outside. Take care of the enemy on the inside and let God bring the truth to the outside. Amen? Deal with yourself here. Figure out why you broke, busted, and discuss it, okay? It's not because there's Jewish people over there that's holding you back. Most of the time, it's you. It's right here. You, you holding your own self back. And then if you get yourself right, now go out there and do the right thing and try to do it without conspiracy and sounding wacko, okay? Amen? So you heard that from a pastor that actually believes we should speak to power, but we shouldn't do it like Kanye where we get to the point where we start thinking that there's a cabal and some hierarchy conspiracy and the Jews run everything. We got to put them down. What if those Jewish people just did something you didn't do? What if they just saved their money and did some smart budgeting and you didn't do that? It has nothing to do with their race. It has to do with their mindset. Amen? That, 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 well, that was extra, I guess. Some of y'all don't want that. I still don't like them. Well, repent and love them and pray for them. And then if you're going to expose something, do it from the Bible, not from, like I said, a conspiracy channel, okay? So I just had to share that because that's literally what we're dealing with now. Do you know that anti-Semitism is now in the rise in our country? Like when I said with Kanye West, isn't that crazy? You had a guy like Kanye West blaming everything on the Jews, 
I mean, like, where does that come from except from that mindset? You don't get that from the Bible. Do you think Paul, who weeps over the Jews is going, as a Christian, is going to say that towards the Jews? No. Come on, somebody. Now listen to what he says here. If you think you're superior to the branches, you're in trouble. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could get gra- uh, grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of what? Come on, help me preach. Thank you, my brother. But they were broken off because of what? Unbelief. Highlight it for him, good sir. They were broken off one more time because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Now, if once saved, always saved was true, tell me how this next part makes sense. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Man, you got to take me back to Bible college to relearn that or something if I'm not right. Because I don't, I mean, I don't know how to read. If, what am I supposed to do after hearing about Jews getting cut off? I'm supposed to tremble. Am I supposed to walk around and go, I'm a king's kids. I'm in daddy's hands. Nobody can touch me. I'm once saved, always saved. Ha ha, I'm good now. Is that, is, is that the attitude you're supposed to get from that story? That's not the attitude. I mean, literally it says, don't you be arrogant, but tremble. Why are you supposed to tremble? Because it's real. I don't tremble over a fake threat. Anybody ever here play Call of Duty and start trembling? Oh, man, they're coming in. They're coming in. Come on, man, they're coming in. You, you might be drinking too much uh, you know, Red Bull playing at 3 in the morning if you're doing that, but you get my point. Most average people playing Call of Duty are like, oh, they're coming. They're coming. They're at the door, boys. They're at the door. Get them. You're sitting here, got licorice hanging out of your mouth. Yo, man, you drop the bomb on them, we'll come around, snipe them in the head. You don't, you don't even care. Get in a real gunfight, right? Talk to my one friend because, you know, I believe in carrying weapons and all this. He said, my friend was just like you. He said he carried weapons. He did all that. He got into one gunfight. Man, he was the scaredest he's ever been in his whole life. That's why we got to pray for our military and police officers. Amen? Because, I mean, you think you know, but you don't know until you're in that situation. Right here, what do you think you're supposed to have? You're supposed to tremble because you're in a real situation. You're in a real situation right now. If I become arrogant, and it sounds like, and I don't mean this as a diss towards my brothers and sisters who believe otherwise, but it does sound, let's be honest, arrogant to think that God owes you this if you're going to live a different way. I'm not saying the people themselves are arrogant. Everybody listening to me? I'm not saying they're arrogant as a person. I'm just saying, can't that doctrine put an arrogancy in you? Well, I'm saved. I'm always saved. But you're living in sin. That's all right. Jesus still loves me. I prayed last night. I'm good. That doesn't sound like they're trembling. That doesn't sound like they're uh, avoiding arrogance. No, it sounds like they're falling for the trap of the enemy. That would make them think they stand when they can fall. And the Bible says, take heed to Christians when you think you stand, lest you fall. And every backslider, I'm going to be honest with you right now, from pastor to the one sitting in the pew, every backslider, I'm going to try to look at every precious one of your beautiful faces this morning, every backslider, someone who's walked away from God that I've ever met, always wanted to go to this. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, we're living in sin. Every single one of them. I'm not saying everyone who believes this is a backslider. Please don't make that connection. 
But it's something how even people raised in a church like this, their doctrines will change when they want to sleep with their girlfriend all the time. Well, I don't know about all that. I'm still a Christian. I still love Jesus. You just haven't seen me around a while because I'm doing this and that. Come on. Somehow convenient that doctrine is now that you don't understand the fear of the Lord every time. My one dude who committed adultery with his, on his uh, wife, with his uh, intern, same thing. Oh, come on, man. You know, we all get tempted. You've been tempted, pastor, and you know, he's what he said to me. You know, you've lusted in your heart, and the Bible says that's adultery, and I just committed adultery, so we're the same. I said, no, we're not. I said, you went beyond what I did and did about five other things, too. You can't now say it's all the same. Otherwise, we would be arresting you right now for thinking bad thoughts about your neighbor. Well, that's murder. Well, see, you got to understand, when God said if you're angry with your neighbor, that's murder, what he's talking about is of the heart and where the root of the act of murder comes from. But he's not trying to say the acts are equivalent, one-to-one equal. Otherwise, we would be punishing, like I said, thought crimes like we punish the actual crime. What we're saying when we say adultery of the heart is adultery, it's a sin. When we're saying murder of the heart, it's a sin. What we're saying by that is that's the root of it. And God holds you accountable to that. But there are other consequences for the actions and behaviors that you do after you have that thought. The thought of now murdering, uh, the, the thought of murdering somebody or being angry is one consequence. You're not, your mind's not right. But now pulling out a hammer and beating somebody over the head, there's another consequence for that. How many people understand that? But you see, sinners, they now want to make it all equal. Well, Joe, you've, you've committed adultery. I committed adultery. We're all the same. I said, but first of all, I'm not arrogant in my adultery, if you want to call it that in that sense. I repent, and then I say, if I continue in it, I'm not right with God. Does everybody get it? There's a difference. There's a humility. These come from the scriptures. And then quickly here, Hebrews 10, 26 in closing, which, by the way, I'm preaching Hebrews chapter 10 by God's grace and next service. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? And uh, please uh, listen to it online if this subject interests you. Next week, we'll continue on uh, further into this. And I, I purposely wanted to avoid being overly emotional in this message and just shouting it at you because I don't want you to feel like I'm angry with you. But I do now want to make it applicable that if you're here as a Christian and you're deliberately sinning, you are in danger of some things happening in your life and you should tremble. Listen to what it says. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. How many know that's going to set in a backslider's heart tonight if they take that serious? Like, that's going to be in their conscience. That's why I can't, I'm just be honest with you, that's why I can't continue in sin. How many have been convicted against continuing in sin because of verses like this? It's not just that you know Jesus loves you. It's also you know Jesus will judge your, your behind. Come on. Why do we try to pit those two against each other, God's judgments and God's justice, or God's love and God's wrath? Why do we try to pit those against each other when we all know that's normal life for us? When I meet a military person, I don't fear them to get me. But I know if I try to kidnap people, take over a building, hold hostages, the National Guard is not coming to tickle me. Amen? <laughs> I mean, we live with that. My next-door neighbor, 
our vets, you know, they're amazing. They work at the airport. I, I, you can't get into everything they do, but they're amazing people. That's my dude. If I tried to sneak on drugs into a plane, I'm not expecting that guy to chat with me and hand me a brewski with the barbecue. My face is going to the pavement. You understand the dog, he, he works with dogs. Those dogs are going to be all over me. Does that mean he's a bad dude? That's his job. That's what he does. Why do we think that God is not a judge? That's what he does. But he gave us love. He gave us mercy. He gave us grace. What does he ask in return? Just trust him. Love him. It doesn't say if you sin one time, then you don't get to go to heaven or you lose the sacrifice of Jesus. No, it says it perfectly here in the English as the Greek has it out. Deliberately keep on sinning, ongoing. You do that, don't think cross is saving you. And I don't care how much you kiss it and what color uh, bronze or silver you had it on your neck. It's not helping you. Amen? Jesus said that. So why do we pretend that, that, that it doesn't matter how we live once we become Christians? That's not how this church is going to be. Amen? Please go back to John 15. This is what we're supposed to get out of it. You got a privilege now to be with Jesus. Just like as if I had a privilege to go, you know, and that man, is, my neighbor has invited me over, the vet. I don't come over with drugs. He's got his dogs in the house. If I came over, it would be a whole different story. But how do I come to his house? I come to abide in his house, to be clean, to be respectful. That's the same way we're supposed to be with God. We come with our sins. He, he, he cleanses us. But we don't keep living in those same sins. You might say, well, pastor, what happens if I sin again? Well, be cleaned again until you get the lesson. But stop acting like you and I don't get lessons. We try to act like we're uh, dumb, you know, being ignorant. Don't be ignorant with God. You know there are certain sins in your life that you're allowing to be your pet sins. Stop that. He doesn't want you to do that. What does he want you to do? Look at the privilege. He wants you and I to be in him, and then he wants us to bear fruit that others can come and enjoy in life. That's my prayer. Amen? Would you stand up with me, please? Would you give it up for the word of the Lord today? If you learned something, if you grew, hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, keep us in you today. If you're not in Jesus, ask God to forgive you of your sins right now. Come into Jesus. You haven't come in yet? Ask Jesus to forgive you right now. If you're already a Christian, ask the Lord to search your heart and see if anything needs to be pruned. Lord, search me. Check my attitude. How I treat my wife, my kids. For some of you, it's on your job. It's your family, your community. Ask the Lord to show you yourself today. Look at yourself in the reflection of God's word, his spirit. Lord, show us who we are and get out all the junk right now. Because, Lord, we don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to think, God, more highly of ourselves than we ought to. A few moments right now can change your life. These altars will be open for anyone who wants to receive prayer for what's discussed today. Or for any other issue in your life, we'd love to pray with you. But just a few more moments right now. Lord, search our hearts.